Glad you're here today for Friends Day. If you didn't know it was Friends Day, at first service, somebody came to me and said, we just came in. I said, well, be my friend then. Glad you're here today, and we want it to be an enjoyable experience for you. I'm, gonna, I'm starting a new series today called Uncomfortable. Everybody say uncomfortable. Yeah, uncomfortable. Because in life, everything's not always comfortable. How many know that? Well, you know that. Like, and in fact, let me just say this. Some of the best things you ever got to in life was a little uncomfortable to, to arrive there. If, you don't, if you've not had that happen, ask your mama about how uncomfortable it was for you to arrive here. Good things, good things sometimes are difficult to get to. And, uh, and we're starting this, this series today, and it'll be three more Sundays, so you're going to get number, your first Sunday down, so you can come next week, and, and you're already, like you're already third, 25% of the way there, and so I uh, encourage you to do so. Uh, we live in a world, we live in a world that really seeks a culture that seeks comfort. How many know that? I mean, but we like we like it to be comfortable. I mean, you're sitting here right now. I don't know what the temperature's outside. It's probably 80-something. And we're inside. We're not out under a tree somewhere trying to have church. We're not like the old-timers that had big windows and they popped them open and there's no air conditioning. I like the comfort of air conditioning. Anybody with me? We like that. You're sitting on a soft seat, not a wooden bench. You didn't, it wouldn't bring your own chair Sunday. Right? Right, the seat's been provided. There's comfort in that. Comfort when, when you, you know, you get in a car and drive home and you didn't have to ride a horseback or you didn't have to walk or, or any of the stuff that would be more difficult. You just came here in, in ease. Maybe you rode somebody, however you got here. Maybe you walked. Maybe you lived close enough, you walked. But, but for most of us, it was ease getting here. In fact, maybe you already had breakfast this morning or maybe you're not. Maybe you're going to eat something after this and... And having food, well, that's a, a comfort that we like. I, I like comfort food. Anybody with me? Like give me some mashed potatoes and gravy and fried chicken. I'm a preacher. You know that's what they say about preachers. I mean, I'm just like the fried chicken. I'm just telling you. But I mean, comfort food, we like that too. We like being comfortable. But, but the reality is uh, there's a lot of things in life that are uncomfortable. And, and I would say this, that. That's important to understand this, and we're going to talk about it throughout this series, that doing community, entering into community, well, sometimes that's uncomfortable. It, it, it can be uncomfortable to connect with other people, to have other people in your life, to, to do life with people. And, and it's important you understand this before we go anywhere, understand this truth. And, and for a moment here, I could do a whole series on truth because I know sometimes we say, you know, I got, this is my truth. Well, here's everybody. You can have your own truth this morning. Here's your truth. Listen closely that the entire population of the world with one minor exception, the entirety of the world's population, except for one minor exception is composed, made up of others. That's for you. That's for me. We can embrace that as our truth. Let me say it again because some of you are still trying to put it all together, and that's okay. The entire population of the world, except for one minor exception, this is your truth, except for you, is made up of other people. And that creates a dilemma because if it was just me, well, I could deal with me and deal with my own stuff and deal with my own problems, but there's other people, and because there's other people, well, I've got to deal with it. Look at your neighbor and say, deal with it. 
I know you've been waiting to do that. I'm just making you uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. We don't like it. There's people listening online. Some of them are, are viewing online. Some of them aren't in comfortable situations. Or maybe somebody viewing this from, from they're, just in a, you know, they're sick. They've got some stuff going on. Maybe they're in the hospital. And they're viewing this today. Uncomfortable. And, and uncomfortable is tough. And doing life with others, well, it can be difficult. It can be tough. But it's important. It's a necessity. I love what Colin Hightower said. He said, strangers are what friends are made of. You might write that one down if you're taking notes. If not, you might just jot it down anyways. Strangers are what friends are made of. You see, outside of family, the people in your life that you've met, well, at one time they were a stranger, and they became your friend. If you got friends, it's because you understood and you knew the importance of and the struggle, maybe, of fitting into a community. And I think right now it's a tough spot in our world, but it's important. God looked at man in Genesis 2, verse 18, and he said this, he said this about Adam. He created Adam, and Adam had all the stuff. He said it's not good that man should be alone. I mean, Adam had plenty to do. He's caring for the garden. He's naming the animals. He's got all the stuff to do there. But God looks at him and says, it's not good that you be alone because you need someone comparable to you. And certainly he's talking about a wife there. But, but I would say this, that, that we need people that, that, are, that are on our level that we can do life with. John 17, 11, Jesus is praying. It's the Lord's Prayer. And he said, I pray, Father, that they would be one as we are one, even as we are one, that there'd be unity among Christ's followers, people that are following me, all the way Jesus looks out through the span of time, down through the telescope of time, and says that, that all these are going to come in, that they would be one, that there'd be community, there'd be a common unity among people. But yet, it's tough in our world, simply, number one, because we live in a time when people are distant. Everybody shout distant. Yeah, it's not good. It's not good. It's the, it's the digital age. I remember, so, so I'm old enough when I was a kid, we didn't always have one, but I remember we got one. We got an answering machine, a little box sit over there, plugged in the phone, and you'd record a message, and people would call, and you'd hear them talking. If it's somebody you want to talk to, you could pick it up. Anybody remember those days? Just so you know, I'm old enough that I predate caller ID, call waiting, I lived in the era when the phone rang, you had to pick it up, and you didn't know who it was, and say hello. You just took a chance. In fact, if the phone rang, you just answered it, hello. And if you weren't there, well, the phone just rang, and they had to call back. They couldn't reach you on your cell because we didn't have cells. And so answering machines, then it went to voicemail. And every once in a while on a voicemail, you'd get somebody. And because there was a distance, they weren't there right next to you, they'd leave you some voicemails like, man, they are, they're fired up. Something went south. Something is wrong, and they're, they're mad. They may not have said it that way to you in person, but on the voicemail, they left you something. Or, or then when email came around, I'm just telling you, I'm feeling older as I talk. Email came around, and I thought, well, maybe I'm old enough I won't have to fool with the email thing. I was like 30. <laughs> and then you get, anybody ever had that email that you like, 
man, I want to reply right now, but I need to wait. And I don't think they would have said that to me one-on-one, but they did an email. And, and, then, and then text. Text, you know, you could, I could text somebody about something and say, hey, where are we at on that? And I mean it like, hey, where are we at on that? And they take it like, why is he yelling at me? Because no emotion with it, right? Because we're distant. And then social media came along. All the, all the social media apps. And on social media, well, people feel increased and bigger than they are and more confident and bolder than they'd ever be one-on-one. And they just put something on there. They put something on there like, I know this, and so I'm going to say it. And all whoever wants to disagree with me, they can. And we'll get in a Facebook firestorm. You ever seen those big threads and, like, you, maybe, maybe you got pulled into one big old long thread and everybody's, like, fighting back. And nobody's changing their mind. Nobody's like, oh, you said that in my comments. That changed me. Now nah, I'm going, I'm, I agree totally with what you said. They just get madder. I want to tell you, because it's distant. We're hidden back here on a keyboard somewhere. It's distant. It's not one-on-one. It's not together. It's distant. And then the other thing about our world is, well, there was this pandemic thing. may still be here. I don't know. I, I, it's hard to follow. I mean, you're like me. Like, you know, I want to do the right things, but also I'm like, well, it's been, been a decade or something. It feels like. And during the pandemic, we got disconnected. Disconnected. I can't tell you the number of pastors that I know, and I, and I, and I know church, that's what I know, who, who are just wringing their hands and concerned because what it looked like in early 2020, it looks nothing like that now. I pulled into a church just the other day, a week or two ago, pulled in the parking lot. When I pulled in on the sign out front, I had one of those signs where you change the letters, you know, our Sundays are better than Dairy Queen type thing, and, and they had on there, we have returned for in-person services. And I'm like, oh, I hate that. I just do because of what I do. Because here's what I know. It, it means people are disconnected. It means people are, when kids weren't able to go to school and when all these things, and, I, and I'm not saying that the intention and all that was wrong or anything. I'm just saying this, that it disconnected. Crime rates went up. Mental health suffered. All kinds of stuff. Why? Because people weren't around other people, and that's a big deal. Because you were created not to be disconnected, but to be, to be connected to others. And then, well, we're divided. We're divided. You know that. Most polarizing time that I've ever seen in our nation. And I'm not talking about just politics. That is a thing. I'm talking about just on every issue just about. We want to go to war about it. And we want to divide and come apart. There, there is this thing. Let me, let me help you. Maybe you never thought about this. And I'm going to read Acts chapter 9 here in a moment. Just setting this up. There, there, is, there is a thing about you can disagree with people and still be friends. You can disagree and still be married. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. My wife's still working on shaping and molding me. You can disagree and still walk together. Because we disagree. There's no two people agree, agree on everything just alike. We disagree. You think, it's a, you think it's a bad day? I think it's a great day. We disagree. 
You, you think that, that uh, you, you got a certain ideal about something? Well, I've got a, a totally different idea. Doesn't mean that we can't be friends. Doesn't mean that we can't be together. Families come together at Thanksgiving and it's all out war when it should be a time of just getting together and like, like lay our opinions aside. We have different opinions. Let's do a time of Thanksgiving together. Hey, I'm all I'm, I'm giving you, I'm giving you, just write that down. So like the week before Thanksgiving, just tell everybody, hey, we're gonna get together. And let's just all have fun and talk. Okay. Just set it up that way. That's all free. Went in my notes, just trying to help you. Because we disagree. Now, see, there is an enemy of your soul that wants to separate and divide you. I almost played the video. You can go find it. There's a bunch of them out there. It's those wildlife videos. There's, there's one where, where the water buffalo, it's a, little, it's a young one, and it, the lions have came after it, and it slides into the water there, and alligators are pulling, and lions on this side of it. And, and you think, well, it's over. The person on the safari or whatever is filming all this. You think, well, it's over. And then all of a sudden, now the corner, way out on, on, uh, on the left side, left side of it, this right side, there we go. You see this, this adult water buffalo, whatever it is, some kind of big animal with horns, and it's coming. And then behind it is the whole herd, and they're all moving. And they're moving toward this young one that's there being pulled by the alligators. And they get up there, and the lions have it. And, and all of a sudden, they, they just, it's like, it's like one. They keep moving and moving and moving. And then one of them takes its horn down, and it just flips a lion way over there. And another one, boom, boom. And, they, and the little water buffalo gets up and goes off with the herd. And I'm thinking, wow, that one made it. But usually the, the enemy... Right, the the one that's victimizing uh, the, the 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 other creatures. Well, it catches one by itself, and that's the one it goes after. It doesn't go after the herd. Those those three or four or five lions were no match for that herd of buffalo, and the herd of buffalo let them know it. Because I want to tell you, you need community. Because sometimes you need protected. You need protected. So I want to pick this up this morning right here. We're going to read in Acts nine in just a moment. Um, Christianity, well, it's a herd. Um, around, around the world, so for the last 2,000 years and right now, nearly 2,000 years and, and right now in the world, the church, Christians, well, it's, it's the greatest organization that's ever existed. There's just no, no there's, there's, there's no, not even a close second that's done what the church has done, that's impacted the world the way the church has. Right now, as we sit in here, there are people in the darkest parts of our world, in the most dangerous places that are serving people that are Christians. That, that more humanitarian aid, that more relief, that more support, that more good things, more help, more, more, more uh, uh, giving and generosity has occurred by the church than any other organization on the planet in the last 2,000 years. In fact, even our nation our nation, who, who it's arguable, is it a Christian nation? But I would say this, that when you look at leadership, well, a whole lot of them espouse Christianity. Over 88% of our Congress and Senate identifies as Christian. That's pretty cool. I'm not, as I say this, it's not political, and I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that, I, you know, it's not like we like what politicians do. Poly means many we all know what a tick is, okay? 
So, so, so I'm not saying that they all do right. I'm just saying that they identify as Christian. President, vice president, Catholic, vice president, Baptist, Speaker of the House, uh, Catholic, the uh, lead in the, in the Senate, Jewish, uh, the Supreme Court, predominantly Catholic. Uh, uh, one of them is, is Jewish, but, all, but most of them, the majority of them, are Christian. And, and I would just say this, that, that when you think about this, by, by the way, in modern history, every president has, has claimed Christian and, and sometimes most generally to, to denomination. And when you look at, at our nation and we do so much good around the world, and, and, and get it, I know we're flawed. We haven't always got it right. Right? Nobody's arguing that. We haven't, been always, we haven't got it perfect every time. But there's no other nation that's done what America has done around the world and continues to do to help and aid. And I can't, I can't look at that and not think that when we have representation in our government that at some level has been taught from this book, well, maybe that's why we do that. And I'm just saying this, that this incredible instrument on the earth called the church, the family of God, the body of Christ, the, the visible re, uh, representation of the invisible kingdom of God on this planet, that it exists and does good. And it all had its start way back in a little place in Israel. And we know Jesus, and I could spend some time there. And we know, many of you know, Acts chapter 2, when the birth, the birth of the church happened. But I, I want to I kind of grab a hold of a guy named Saul. Saul later would become the Apostle Paul. Saul is, well, he's just an incredible guy. He becomes a, he's an incredible guy before he knows Jesus and, and after. Saul, um, as the Apostle Paul, will write more of the New Testament than any other writer. He'll travel in the early days of Christianity to places and spread the gospel that no one else went. He, he is the first on the scene so many times. And, and he'll suffer shipwreck, and he'll be beaten, he'll be left for dead. I mean, he'll have all the stuff that could happen when you're persecuted. But on top of that, imprisoned, he still accomplishes so much. You can't, you can't look at Christianity today and not see the mark of the Apostle Paul in Christianity. What, what, I, what I teach, what our church believes, what, what Orthodox and fundamental churches believe is, is simply what the Apostle Paul formulated as theology. It's incredible what he did. Now, I'll say this, that when you look at his life, well, it all happened kind of in an unexpected moment. He wasn't planning on doing that. I mean, he's a young Jewish guy. He's fervent about his faith. He's got certain ideology and philosophies, and he's, he, 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 is, he is going about uh, persecuting in fact, in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, says this, that he's breathing out threatenings and murders. He's went as Saul. He's went and got letters so that he can go to Damascus. And when he gets to Damascus, he's going to grab people in their homes and bring them out, and they're going to chain them up, and they're going to take them to Jerusalem so they can be tried. He's going to extradite them from Damascus, a Gentile city, those that say they're Christians, and he's going to bring them to Jerusalem so they can be tried, imprisoned, or put to death. I mean, Paul, Saul is, he's the first Christian terrorist, terrorist against Christians that you see. I know we hear about terrorism in our world, well, Paul was that. In fact, when Paul 
when he has his conversion and he and he the the, fl- the switch is flipped, it would be like if Osama bin Laden would have got on Al Jazeera and CNN and said, "Hey, I was wrong. I'm now a Christ follower, and uh, forgive me of all that I've done because I've changed my ways." Well, like, we're like, well, that would never happen. I know how you're thinking, Pastor. Are you sure it's like that? Yeah, it's definitely like that. Paul was killing, imprisoning, threatening people who are following Jesus. He wanted them removed. People they called in the way. I, I just want you to see this guy and how vicious he is. That he's got he's got the the approval of the Sanhedrin now to go and get people out of their homes that are following Jesus, and just because they're following Jesus, to do harm to them. And so Paul, this is his agenda. This is what he's going to do. Saul, sorry. And so he's on the road to Damascus, heading there with the letters in hand, with some people with him, and they're going to do damage. And before they get there, almost almost to Damascus, Paul, Paul will tell it every time he gets an opportunity. You can read it. This week, I'm not going to read it, but you can read it in Acts chapter 9. I encourage you to do so. You can read it in Acts 22. You can read it in Acts 26 because he continues, because he, he goes before a lot of important people, and he tells them, I was on the road to Damascus. And all of a sudden, not because I wanted it to, not because I planned it, not because I had anything to do with it at all. I was doing all my stuff. I was busy about doing what I felt like was important. And all of the sudden, a great light came around me. Not only did I see it, but those that were with me witnessed this light. And when that light came around me, I heard a voice. And he said, my paraphrase, who who is this? He said, this is Jesus whom you're persecuting. And I don't know. I don't know Paul's familiarity with Jesus. I tend to think that he probably heard him speak. He, he would have been somewhat of a contemporary with Jesus. He may have been one of the Pharisees in the crowd when they tried to trip Jesus up so many times. Here he is. And he knows Jesus has been crucified, that they buried him. And here he is now on this road, fervently trying to do what he can to stop people from following Jesus. And his light has came. And he's heard this voice. And Paul says this, trembling and astonished, I said, what do I need to do? That's probably not the words he wanted to say. But there comes a time when you come face to face with Jesus that the only thing you can say is, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he gets the instruction to go to to Damascus. And he'll spend three days there. He's not eating. He can't see. Because of this light, in Acts chapter 9, verse 10, I'll pick it up. It says this, now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here, here am I, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. 
and he and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel. That's powerful right there. You might underline that if you have a Bible or highlight it. He is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. And he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. There's a whole lot, and I can't unpack it all. So I encourage you, read. Pick it up one this week and read all the way through to verse 19. You can read on past there as he goes back to Jerusalem. But, but you have Paul here, and, and Ananias has showed up, and he's had this transformative event happened in his life. If, if what happened on the, the Damascus road wasn't enough, now he's had this encounter with someone, and it's, it's so powerful, the change. And, and he's not been eating, and I, I don't know. I don't know when he trembled and, ast- and was astonished, and now he's not eating. I don't know if he's fasting, because Paul would fast. Or I don't know if he's just, like, if it's just freak-out mode, and he's like, I don't know if I can eat anything at all because of what just happened to me. I don't know where he was at, but he eats food. It says, and then they spent, he spent some time there in Damascus with the disciples. So a few things happen that's important. Number one, Paul has this incredible encounter with Jesus, and he is the template, the model of what many people will experience throughout 2,000 years of church when they come to Jesus and their life is altogether changed. Anybody in here know about that? Say yes. He, he, when we see, because we've seen a lot of people who are Jesus followers, and some of them coming, but it seems like it's all been kind of a little bit of a good thing. And now you got the guy that's just like, he just mugging with a mean face, and he's ready to destroy everybody that's following Jesus, and now he's changed. And you're like, whoa, there's something, something a little bit to this. So it's powerful. And that can be your experience too. God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son that you could have eternal life. You could spend life with him. Because after this life, we're all going to spend, we're all going to spend an eternity somewhere. And so, and so the opportunity is because God so loves you that he wants you to be with him that he gave his only son. And simply what we have to do is trust in a God that loves us and, and acknowledge, accept, the Savior that's been provided. Repent. Repent means change directions. Move from following our own, like, like Saul was, our own desires and, and, and what we want, and say, Jesus, I want to follow what you want. And I want to tell you, that right there is a game changer. That's a game changer. The thing that happens here that really gets me is that here Saul is kind of locked away, not eating, can't see had this incredible event. You'd think, 
well, you had that happen. We need to get him around everybody we can so he can, he can tell them about what happened. Instead, God's kind of hit him away for a few days. And what God does is he gives Ananias, somebody that Saul doesn't know, a vision to go there. And he tells him all about it. And not only does he do that, but he gives Saul the information that Ananias is going to come. That, that God is doing this stuff, and it's, it's so amazing because it's, it's supernatural activity when he deals with Ananias. It's supernatural activity when he deals with Paul to connect them. In fact, he doesn't leave Saul just hanging out there by himself forever and say, okay, we got you saved, and, and now, you, now you're trusted in me, so everything's good. No, he wants to connect him. In fact, he wants it to connect him so bad, it's so important that he connects him with people, that he supernaturally engages with people so that they can be connected. That God is working in Saul's life to connect him. And God is working in your life right now, supernaturally, to provide community for you. God is working in your life to, to supernaturally to provide community for you. Don't overlook it. People coming in and out of your life, it's not always accidental or coincidental. In fact, I don't even believe in coincidence. If you're a Christ follower, I don't know how you believe in coincidence. I'm just saying. I believe everything's ordered and planned, that God's working. God's working in, in guiding my, my feet where they should go and my words, what I should say, and the relationships that I connect in, that God is working supernaturally. I heard Robert uh, Duvall, uh, actor, he's in his 90s now. And he's one of, my, one of my, like if I've got top five actors, he's one of them. Ever since he did that movie, The Apostle, and he got saved, I always felt like he was a good one. I'm kidding. I don't know what he did with his faith, but it was a good movie. And I'm just saying this. He, he told the story about he was in Argentina filming on, on location for a film. And he had some time one day, and he went into the little town, and he went to the flower shop to look at some flowers, but it was closed. So because it was closed, the bakery next door, he went in there just looking around. He said, I would have never went in the bakery, bakery had the flower shop been open. I just wouldn't have went there. He said, but I went in there. That's where he met his wife. He says this, and I don't know his faith situation, but he says this. If the flower shop had not been closed, I would have never went in the bakery and I never met my wife. All of you in here have some stories where somebody entered your life. Maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it was a friend. And it looks like, well, it was just kind of happened that we ended up together. No. I believe God was working. I believe God was divinely working. And maybe it wasn't a vision. Visions may be, may be rare sometimes for, for people, but, but it, it was God orchestrating an opportunity to connect. And, you know, and I would say that, and sometimes, sometimes we kind of throw it off as, well, you know, whatever, or what, instead of God connecting. And I'm just saying, don't overlook it. There's a story years ago, I've told it many times, but about, you probably heard it, about the guy that uh, the storm was coming and, and the rain was falling and it kept, it kept uh, raining and raining and, and rain was in the yard and, and there was an evacuation order. Hey, you need to evacuate your home because it's dangerous. There's flooding. And uh, some of the neighbors left, and he said, ah, I'm going to stay here. Lord will take care of me. Lord's got this. And so he stays there. Rain keeps on, it keeps on raining and gets up into his house. And now it's, now it's in the home, and it's 
eventually he has to get on the roof. He's on the roof, and people come by in a boat, and they say, hey, get in the boat with us. We'll rescue you. He said, no, I'm good. God's got this. He's going to take care of me. Keeps on raining. He's now on the pinnacle of the roof, the very the peak of the roof. Water's all around him. And a helicopter comes over top, lets down a ladder. Take hold of the ladder, and we will rescue you. No, I'm good. God's got this. He'll take care of me. Finally, the water overtakes him. He's in heaven. He's standing before the Lord. He said, Lord, I trusted you, even though it looked hard, even though stuff was happening. I kept on trusting. I told others I was trusting you. Why didn't you help me? And the Lord said, well, I, I had your neighbors invite you out of there so you get help. I sent people by in a boat, and you said no. I sent a helicopter with a ladder by, and you said no. He said, I tried to help you, but you kept on overlooking it. And I will tell you, God's bringing people into your life, and if you're not careful, you'll overlook it and overlook it and overlook it and think it's just somebody or it's not the kind of person you want to be at friends with. And I'm just saying this, God is working supernaturally for you to have people in your life. Don't overlook it. Open your eyes and see what God is doing. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22 in the Message Bible. I just love the way it reads here in this, in this passage. It said, that's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. The kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here and what he is building. He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God. All of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. I'm just saying this, that Jesus came as a Savior so that you could experience life change, that you could experience the new life that he has, and then what God does is he locks and places us together, not accidentally. I tell people, if you're at Elevation, you're here on purpose. In fact, if you're here today, you're here on purpose. You say, well, a friend invited me, so I thought I'd just come, and I get that. But God was working supernaturally, so you'd be here. If it all, all it is is to experience his presence in worship, if all it is to hear the message, well, then it's all it is. But it could even be more. God fitting us. Well, the other thing that I see here is, is that Ananias, well, he starts talking to the Lord about this. He says, Lord, you know, I've heard from many about how much harm this guy's doing. And I know he didn't say it this way, but he's almost like, you sure you got this right? He may be a little bit like, you know, and I know he wouldn't be inappropriate to say, but, but if we're talking to one-on-one, -on -one, it'd be this kind of conversation, conversation, right? He's talking to God, so I know it's a little different. But if we were one-on-one, -on -one, he might be saying, dude, are you crazy? You know who this guy is? Do you know what he's doing? Do you know the authority that he has? Do you know that if I go to him as a Christ follower and say, hey, I had this vision that he could lock me up in chains and take me back to Jerusalem, and, my, and, and it could be the end of everything? Lord, do you understand what's go, what, what this is about? Do you understand who he is? Do you understand what you're asking from me? 
Because I can tell you this, Ananias is feeling a little bit fearful, beyond awkward. In, in entering it into community, let me tell you something, and you can, you can write this down, commit it to memory, whatever you want to do. You may feel awkward, even fearful to connect with others. Don't avoid it. And Ananias is suffering. He's got, he's got some anxiety about this. He's, he's troubled by stepping into where Saul's at and even addressing him. Now, Saul already knows he's coming. And, you know, and Ananias could be doubting. I don't know if you ever felt like God told you something and then, like, you talk yourself out of it. I know nobody else has ever done that, but, like, you You've been in that, in that worship time and, like, the offering plate's getting ready to come by, and you you got a $50 bill in your pocket. You got it from someplace, I don't know, and you got it in your pocket. And then you hear this voice, put that in there. And you're like, what? You're, you're almost like, devil, get behind me. <laughs> That's a little bit maybe what's going on with Ananias. He's like, am I hearing you right? Is this for real? No, this can't be for real. This is a trap. Community sometimes can feel difficult. It can, it can strike anxiety, fear in our heart. It, and it, at its best, many times, it's awkward. I love what President John F. Kennedy said when he was considering going to the moon. He said, we don't do it, this is my paraphrase, we don't do it because it's easy. We do it because it's hard. And sometimes when it comes to community, you just got to make the decision. I'm not doing it because it's easy. It's hard, but I know that I need it. And in our world, I talked a little bit about the whole digital age. You, you can look at social media. You can look at, at Hollywood or celebrities, athletes, whoever it is. And, and many times what we get is we get image and not presence. In fact, I think sometimes we've sacrificed having presence for image we, sometimes we really think we want an image. Sometimes we think that's the same as presence, but it never is. Let me explain this. I want to go a little deeper. That, that image is never a substitute for presence. Because image can be inaccurate. Because, you know, somebody posts that thing on Facebook and their life is all together perfect and lovely. Let me help you. It's not. They've edited that thing 15 times. They put it through those filters. I don't post a lot. I don't know how to use those filters and make myself look good. You know, I haven't found the one that has hair yet. You know, I'm just saying. They put it on there, and everything just looks like, wow, I wish I had that kind of life. Yeah, that's an image. The celebrity that, that has a ton of wealth and fame, it's an image. Are you with me? It's not presence. There's a difference in presence. Sometimes people will tell me, Let's zoom. And I'm like, let's not. I know there's applications for Zoom for business and maybe you got distant family or something. I, I I get that. But I'm just talking about I'd rather any day sit down with somebody and try to sit on a Zoom thing looking at them. They're looking at me and the baby's crying in the background, dogs barking, and that's such technology. Beyond that, it's just hard to connect because it's an image that I'm looking at. And I think there's just a big difference in knowing and understanding uh, someone that's embodied, fully present, soul and body. Soul meaning mind, will, and emotions, and, and the physical presence of them in your life. 
It's a big difference in that than having some illusion of connection or intimacy. Because you're designed for community. You're designed for covenantal relationship, that you do life with people. You were never meant for isolation. And I know sometimes we think, well, I kind of like being by myself and not dealing with a lot of people. And I get that. There's times for that. But I'm talking about you can't go through life without other people in your life. You weren't designed for that. And it is hard. It is difficult sometimes. It is because, number one, we don't have the same personalities. You realize that, don't you? Some of you are extroverts, talk all the time. Some of you are introverts, you don't talk at all. I'm playing. Those are, those are, those are huge differences and variances. But, but there is a difference in personality. There's a difference in culture. I'm not talking about just ethnic culture. I'm talking about culture in general. If you're married, you know that. If you're married, you know that your spouse, the way they grew up, well, they may come from a loud family where everybody's like, ah! And you came from a very quiet family where everybody's like, shh. And when you, when you mix that, well, you're embracing a culture. In fact, in your own home now, you've got, you've got this homostasis that has happened in their life and is present in their life that you're bringing together. And, well, that's different. Kim and I, we were, we were at a place yesterday, and we got there at 1.30. Thought, I thought it was open until 3, but it was only open until 2, a breakfast place, and we'd been busy all, didn't eat, hadn't ate, eaten anything all day. And, and so we went in there, and I could tell, like, they're kind of sweeping, and there's not many people in here. I said, I said uh, hey, is, are you guys still open? Is it okay? I said, I don't know you're closing, too. I saw on the door, and they said, yeah, it's okay. Okay. So... We get over there, and I see some people stacking some chairs over there. So I said, you sure it's okay? Yeah, it's fine. Okay. I've been there before and had a little bit of problem with this. And so, so I thought, well, okay, we'll, I'll give it a shot, though. And so, and it's 1.30. It's not one till, it's not 5 till 2, right? So the waitress comes up, and she says, hey, I want her to get your order in because the kitchen's about to close. <laughs> I said, well, we can go someplace else. No. Okay. So we ordered real quick, and then, and then uh, uh, I said, uh, and I, I got some coffee. And so she said, she came back, she said, I got decaf. She said, we don't have any of that. I can make you some more, but it's going to take eight minutes. So when she said it's going to take eight minutes, I could tell she didn't want to do it. I could tell. I mean, And I'm trying to be considerate because I don't want to be the person jumping in there when they get ready to close and everybody has to stay late for me. So I'm just, and so I said, no, just, uh, I'll do the other or whatever. And so then they bring me, they found some decaf. <laughs> she said, we found some decaf. And that made me think, oh, my, I hope you didn't pour it out of somebody else's cup or something. I just got all these thoughts in my head because I'm quite OCD, and they're just running through my head. And when I took a drink of it, I think it was the pot they made at 6 in the morning. <laughs> so they bring her food really quick, and we're eating. And I said to her, I said, Hey, is there any regular that I could kind of warm this up with? And she said, let me go check. She came back. She said, oh, she said, I'll go get you some. She came back. She said, well, we don't have any of that left, but I can give you some iced coffee. Would you like that? I said, no, because I don't think iced coffee is real coffee. I'm just being. See, we disagree. And even though you're wrong, I'll still be your friend. So, so, so. So I'm just telling you, we, and we got finished, and we're out by 2. We didn't make them stay any past 2. Got out, 
tipped her well. She did take my coffee off. I didn't ask to, but that was nice. But anyways, and so I told Kim, I said, there's another place we go. So this isn't the, like, Grand Slam for two ninety nine or something. This is a few dollars, you know. And so, so I told Kim, I said, there's another place we go. And if I ever went there at five till before they close, they make you feel like they didn't even notice. Right? I wouldn't do it if I knew that they were closing in five minutes, but I'm just saying, you wouldn't even notice. They make you feel so well. Now, here's what it is. Here's what it is. Watch this. It's a difference in culture. The culture in that place is we're closing a little bit. We all got to get out of here and go do what we feel like is important. And in another place, they're saying we're going to stay as long as the customer needs. It's, it's culture. Now, I want to tell you, in people's lives, in people's lives, they have culture that either they grew up with or they've established or they've, they've kind of found them their way into. And when you come together, well, somebody's going to have a different culture than you. They're going to have a different personality. They're going to have a different background. Their backstory is going to be different. Their ideology, their philosophy of life, their politics, that's a big one, their values are all going to be different. Maybe there's some that's similar. But hopefully not everything's different than you, but there's going to be some differences. That does not mean that you can't be a friend of that person and that you can't do life and community with them. I just want to erase that whole idea that if we disagree, then we divide. No, if we disagree, that's normal. It's normal. I wish our nation could hear the message. It's normal to disagree. Now, we're in a house right now where a whole lot of us agree on a whole lot of important things, but we also have some personal things that we disagree about. Some people don't even like coffee. You're like, what? Yeah, serious. I'm just saying we disagree about stuff. If you're married, if you're married, you know that there can be disagreement when two people are together, right? That we disagree on stuff. Sometimes, sometimes it's difficult because maybe someone has suffered. They've been hurt. They've been wounded. They've, they've suffered abuse or mistreatment. And now the lens in which they see life and others through is that lens of being, of being mistreated and being wounded and hurt. And so what that does is that causes difficulty in because they put whatever happened to them onto you. Even though you're not responsible, they view you with suspicion because they think you'll do what's happened to them before. And I'd say to every one of, those, every one of you that feel that way, just know this, that Jesus can make all things new, and there's hope in him. I, lo I like gospel music, and there's an old gospel song. It's called, As Long As I Got King Jesus. And, and I like it, except for one line. And they, got, and they got one line wrong in the song, and, and they didn't ask me about when they were writing it and all that. But, but, it, but it says this. It says, well, I've been lied on and cheated. That's bad. And we all can agree, like, we've all been there. You've been lied on, cheated. You're identified. It says, talked about, mistreated. Yeah. And then you're thinking, where's this going? Because <laughs> it doesn't sound very good right now. I've been lied on, cheated, talked about, mistreated. Then it says, I've been used, scorned, talked about, sore as a bone. I don't even know what that means. But it rhymes and it worked for them. I've been up. Yeah. I've been down. Yeah. Almost to the ground. But as long as I got King Jesus, long as I got King Jesus. It does this real good, because it, it gets good. Like, okay, now I know where we're going. And it gets this one part there before it jumps back into the last line. It says, long, long, long as I got King Jesus. You know what I mean? You're like, yeah. 
And you're like, yes, yeah, long as I, and then it says this, I don't need nobody else. I'm like, wait a minute. I get what you're saying. You've been hurt. You've been wounded, shipwrecked, left for dead. People laughed at you, said you're ugly and your mother dressed you funny. All kinds of stuff, been messed up, people did you wrong, and then all of a sudden, but as long as I got King Jesus, and you're saying, Jesus is all I need. Yes, I agree. His love is all I need. His sovereignty, his purpose, yes, his presence. But I need people too. I need somebody. Let me tell you, sooner or later, you're going to need somebody in your life. You may do a season where you can do it alone. You may do a season where you're running through a place where you feel hurt and you're trying to overcome it, and Jesus is there for you. But to say, I don't need nobody else, well, I'm going to need somebody, and you're going to need somebody. Someday, you're going to need somebody in your life. You're going to pull a Toy Story song out and just, you know, I got a friend. You have to do something because you're going to need somebody. God said it. I, you're not good for you to be alone. James 5, 16, he says this, confess your trespasses, your faults to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. That healing comes in the context of community with people around me, with people in my life, through relationship with others. In fact, in Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25, um, the writer in Hebrews said, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and much more as you see the day approaching. What, what's he saying? He's saying that when you get together, you spur one another on. You, he said exhort one place there, that you encourage one another, that you cause others to say they want to do good works, and they want to spread love, and they want to make a difference when we're together in community. That's what I think the importance of Sunday is. It's what I think the importance of being connected to a local church is. I tell people all the time that are guests at Elevation, I say, listen, I'm glad you're here. We'd love it for you to make it your church home. But if, if we're not your cup of tea, find a good church home and plug in somewhere. In fact, there's a lot of good churches. If you don't like Elevation, you can't find one, we'll help you find one. I can recommend five right now that are different but good. I'm just saying it's important that you're in community because what it does is it pushes you to be better, to step up, to throw, it, throw away the stuff that's been, the baggage that's been in your life and, and to achieve greater things together. And lastly, the thing that I see here with Ananias and Saul is that, it, so it's important, God, God thinks it's so important for him to be connected with somebody that he supernaturally speaks to Ananias to go to him. But then after Ananias has laid hands on him and Paul has received his sight and been filled with the Holy Spirit and Paul's eating, Saul, I should say, is plugged in to community. In fact, he stays there with the disciples at Damascus. Now, Damascus is an odd place, I think, but it's a strategic place because you think, well, it would be great if that all happened in Jerusalem. That's like the holy city. That's where it should be. And yet, God does this for Saul in a Gentile city. 
a Gentile city because Paul is going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. In fact, you're sitting right here. You're in a church that, that I think you can link all of this all the way back to a guy who got a vision. In fact, when he got the vision to, to go give the gospel to the Gentiles, he went up to Jerusalem first, and he said to the leaders there, hey, I've got this word from God. God's spoken to me to go to the Gentiles and take the gospel, but I want to present that to you first so that I don't run in vain, that I don't do something and run a direction I shouldn't. I've heard from God, but because I trust in this community that God has formed around me, I want to submit it to you. And when he did, they said yes, and Paul went to the Gentiles and for most of the people in this place today. You are a recipient of the vision that God put in Paul's life to go to the Gentiles. And let me, to, to get to that point, to do what he did, there had to be some growth that happened. It's a necessity that you grow in relationship with God and others. Don't miss it. Growing closer to Christ does not happen alone. That's why God puts it, Paul Saul into community. Because life change happens in the context of relationships. Every one of us in, this, in here this morning, there's a, there's a major life change that happened in your life. You say, I'm only 16. Well, wait a few years. It's a major life change. And, may, and you could probably attest to it as well. Major life, you can look over your life and find certain pivot points in your life when something happened that changed your life and it was because of the people around you because of the people around you, that they help cultivate that. They help give direction, advice, counsel. They, they, they may have challenged you on something and it pushed you. It may have even been, let me go to the other side of the coin, it may not have been positive. Maybe it was a negative experience that happened, but because of the people around you and that negative experience, it pushed you into something you'd never stepped into, and now you look back at your life and think, wow, if that wouldn't have happened, I wouldn't have got here. We need one another. Proverbs 17, or Proverbs 27, 17 said, iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. We need one another to be sharper. Elevation, one of the ways we do it, and I'm a big fan of organic relationship, that, that you meet someone and you enter into connection and community with them. Sometimes they don't happen as easily, so we try to help people. So we do three semesters of groups in two weeks. Our, our fall, it's hard to say it, I still want it to be summer. Our fall, winter, fall, let's just say call them fall. We'll let winter be some other time. Our fall groups start up, and, uh, and it's a semester. It's not until Jesus comes back, right? You're not locked. There's an exit point. You get in a group, and you think, well, I don't think I like this group. Well, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's an escape hatch at some point. But I'm just saying this. We do groups, and groups are about trying to cultivate community. And we have free market groups. Back when I was a young pastor, we got this model from, from Korea, and they were called cell groups. And basically cell groups was the, the pastor or the leader picks like these 10 people and tells them go meet at that house and study this topic at this time, and then 10 more people. And, and I remember doing that, and this didn't feel American. <laughs> go do what I tell you to do, you know. And so over the time, we kind of shaped and morphed into what, what is termed free market groups. The free market groups, small groups, is this, that we have several, I don't know, 20-some groups, and they're all different. Different studies. They are different, uh, uh, different uh, uh, types of, like one of them is a wiffle ball group. 
There's a spiritual element to it. But there's, it's wiffle ball, and it's on Saturday, and you can be a part of it. And if, if the only thing you get out of it is that you connect with other people and develop community, well, that's a, that's a big win. Another one that we're doing is, uh, and we, we have this ongoing all the time, freedom. Everybody say freedom. And it's not just freedom like we just said. It's more like freedom like Braveheart and, and William Wallace is being disemboweled and he yells, yells out, freedom! It's freedom. Freedom for you. You say, well, I don't know if I need freedom. Yeah, you do. I'll just help you. We all get baggage in life. We need somebody. A group of people come around and say, we, we want to help you unload some of this baggage. That's what freedom's about. The bait of Satan. Luke 17, 1, Jesus said it's impossible that offenses would not come. There's an opportunity for all of us to be offended at some time in our life. It just is. And if the enemy can get you to pick up a fence, well, then he traps you. There's people right now, people right now, they're sitting in their homes, not because they don't believe in Jesus, not because they don't read a Bible, but they got offended at some time in their life, and now they don't want to get around anybody else. And I'm just telling you, that's a dangerous place. And so, so, so maybe you think, hey, I, I got offended at a friend, or I got offended at someone at church, or I got offended at someone I work with, or someone in my family. Well, beta Satan just digs in and helps us to uncover, okay, how can, how can we avoid this? How can we, how can we not get caught up in offense? Now, I can't tell you about all 20-plus groups, but I am telling you this. Uh, go take a look at them. You go to our website, elevationindy.com. Uh, there's, a, there's a link there for groups. It'll give you all. You can register online. Um, you can go to the church app if you have the church app. And, and I would encourage you, consider it. Consider it. Pray about it, and then check a group out. If you pray about it and ask the Lord, should you get in a group, then I know you will. Get in a group. So just because it's important, it's important for you. It's important that, you're, that you've got someone in your life that you're connected to, someone in your life that will help protect you, and somebody in your life that's helping you grow. And it's something that you give them permission to, to ask you some hard questions sometimes. Sometimes I walk up to somebody and I'll say, hey, how you doing with that? And I know it's uncomfortable because they, they may not did anything with it at all since we last talked, since they told me how bad it was. But they need to hear somebody ask them to hold them accountable. So let me wrap it. The team is going to be coming. Let me wrap it up this way. Anybody know who Pete Rose is? Pete Rose, like 10 of us. Anybody know who Pete Rose is? Maybe you don't, and it's okay. Uh, he is, I, I would say, this is my description, he is the Michael Jordan of professional baseball. And you got, you got incredible athletes like Hank Aaron and Willie Mays and, and um, Ty Cobb. and I'm, I'm, I'm hitting all the, the older guys right now, but I like them a lot. But, but Pete Rose, phenomenal baseball player. I mean, when it comes to holding records, well, he's most career hits 4,256 times. Can you imagine hitting the ball 4,256 times? Most games played. Hopefully, just still accurate. 3,562. Most at bats 14,053 times. Bases uh, by a switch hitter. Um, National League record career runs. National League record for most years played. Um, I mean, he's just, he's just a guy. In his hometown of Cincinnati, it's where he grew up, went to Western Hills High School, right out of high school, signed a contract, played for the Reds. I mean, celebrated. 
And rightly so because of his accomplishments. I mean, he just did stuff. But ever since uh, the early 1900s World Series, there was a scandal with betting. And so the Major League Baseball has been hard on betting, betting on baseball, and they should be. So in every Major League clubhouse in the United States, Rule 21 is posted for the players and coaches to see it. It says this, any player, umpire, or club, or league official, or employee who shall bet on uh, any sum of money whatsoever upon any baseball game in connection with um, in which the, the, the person betting has no duty to perform shall be declared ineligible for one year. Then it goes on to say, any player, umpire, club or league official or employee who shall bet any sum of money whatsoever upon any baseball game in connection with which the, the person betting has a duty to perform shall be declared permanently ineligible. You hear that word, the phrase, they're permanently ineligible. Now, I hate it that Pete Rose can't be in the Hall of Fame. And I don't know if they ever change it. He's 81 years old. I don't think they will. It's kind of neat that he's been able to, to be celebrated. The Phillies, Reds, they had him there, and I think that's great. Here's what I know. Pete Rose must have walked by that rule posted at least 3,562 times as a player. 554 times as a manager. Yet, he still bet on baseball. Knowing the rule, walking by the sign all those times, he still bet on baseball. 2004, he admitted it. He admitted betting on baseball, including on his own games. So you see where that goes haywire. If you're the manager and you're betting, well, there's a whole lot of stuff that can go wrong there. 14 years after he was banned, like it was 1989, 1990 when he was banned, Ron Peters said this under testimony, said that he took more than $1 million in bets from Pete Rose just on baseball, just in one season. He's an addict when it comes to gambling. Recent interview, Pete Rose said this. This is where I'm getting to. He said, in hindsight, he's reflecting on life. He said, I should have taken time to reflect on my life and where I've been and where I was headed. He says a bunch of stuff. And he says this, I could have called Dick Buckus, a friend who retired from the NFL, and said, how did retirement work for you? I could have called Terry Bradshaw, another friend, NFL player, and said, how did retirement, how does it work for you? He said, but I didn't. He said, I never talked to them. I never talked to anybody. And here's the kicker. He said, it wasn't my style. You got an 80-year-old, greatest of all time, arguably, greatest of all time baseball player who, who by the, the sport that he loved and he gave his life to, that, he, that was his career, with this incredible legacy, who now is banned from baseball for life and, and probably will never be in the Hall of Fame where, where he belongs. And none of, that ha none of that's going to happen. And all that's kind of gone simply because he said, it wasn't my style to reach out and talk to anyone. Here's what I know. That becomes a human condition. 
I can do it on my own. Go through, go through a rough place. We're going to press on through. Go through a painful place. Kind of go over in the corner and look at our wounds and, and try to make it on our own. Never reach out to anyone. Overwhelmed. Try, trying to figure life out. Instead of saying, give me some advice and counsel, we try to do it ourselves. How many times have we done things that we could have just asked someone and we did it on our own and we just messed it all up and then we had to go through, uh, give more effort to the thing that we're trying to accomplish just simply because we didn't ask, we didn't reach out. We didn't say, I need help. We didn't invite people into our life to say, do life with me because I know I can't do it alone. Instead, we made it our style not to connect. And I'm just saying this morning, you can't do life that way. You've got to enter into the uncomfortable.